Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, mums and dads, welcome yet again to another podcast with Ben Reeve, founder of The Box I Live In, ably assisted by my co-host and podcast producer, Blake Howard. Hello, everyone. Hello, Ben. <laughs> and today's special guest, whose CV I'm going to suggest, or LinkedIn profile, see, his CV, even me, starting away going old school, I think is probably the epitome of what's possible in today's world. Mr. Christopher McIntosh, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Delighted. And all the way from New Zealand. Is that right? It is indeed. I, I would have been able to say sunny New Zealand about five minutes ago, but it's now pouring with rain. <laughs> How very New Zealand. It's on brand. Exactly. And, and Christopher sounds as about as New Zealand as I sound Australian. There's probably an inflection for others. And we're going to talk about how you ended up there. Because like I said, I mean, I, I think what I've realised is these sort of, we started off with the podcast and I was talking to sort of people that I knew and family, friends and what have you, and, you know, interesting stories. But as I'm kind of working through it now, I've basically got this huge sort of relationship or these people that I've met for the various programmes I've run. And what I'm doing is I'm talking to the people that I have found fascinating and interesting and and as I said it's it's probably the ones that don't have the linear standard career paths and I think the mere fact you're in New Zealand doing what you do today Christopher has kind of been part of that journey right I mean it's how long have you been over there in Auckland? Um, so it's just over three years now um, yeah we arrived in July so we timed it quite well when, when you think about the pandemic that actually we were nicely settled before we had to go into lockdown the first lockdown yeah, but you guys are like us. We're kind of paying the price now a little bit, right? The rest of the world is opening up and we've got to kind of sort of try and catch up right with the vaccines. Exactly. I think we are accelerating now. So I, I am feeling quite relatively hopeful. And also we've been so lucky out here that actually we've had pretty much no lockdown for, well, we had nothing for six or seven months and now we're in lockdown again. But um, there's light at the end of the tunnel, I think. Yeah, that's true. And I look at the joy of easier work goes on, right? I mean, I think that's one of the things we've all learned. And, and it's the flexibility and it's the responding to the different environments. So today, as I said, I think you have on paper, and we just sort of discussed this a little bit before, you know, people could look at it and go, well, that's pretty random. And either, you know, every now, every couple of years, you've decided to do something different. Or, or But equally, I think there's a connectedness through it. So maybe can we start our conversation, Christopher? Can, can you give us a, a candid overview of like, who you are, where you've been and what you've done. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think my career has been uh, accused of being meandering in the past. Um, uh, scenic maybe would be uh, would be an accurate description of it. Um, so I, and I, I guess you could look at my career and say that it is a great example of what you can achieve, but you could also say this is what happens if you don't plan. Um, so... <laughs> I did uh, a languages degree at university and then got to the end of that and started looking for a job and realised that actually I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, so probably should have spent some time during university thinking about that. Um, and so then went back to university to do a law conversion course and became a, a divorce solicitor in London. Uh, so that was acting for high net worth individuals. And then I did that for, for quite a while and then realized that it, I just, I needed a change and we can talk about it in more detail, but I could just give you a, a bit of an oversight as to what I actually did. Um, so when I left the law, I was really wanting to do something, two things. I wanted to do something more positive. So I wanted to help people. Um, and I also wanted to 
I, I wanted the idea of a passive income. And so I wrote these divorce guides with the idea that you would be able to sort out your divorce and your finances and your money without having to spend these enormous amounts of money on uh, on divorce solicitors, um, which was was great. And I think the end products were also great. But uh, what I learned was the cost of marketing them just you couldn't yeah you know, I couldn't make any money out of it um so that was a learning there um went on and just didn't know what I wanted to do did a marketing franchise for a year and a half before realizing that I needed to get some real focus um went back to university did a master's in HR um moved to New Zealand and now I am the HR um Oh, I was going to say HR master, HR manager <laughs> at um, Apprentice Training New Zealand. There you go. See what's possible. Meandering career. So because this is this is what I love. This is what I love. Let's talk about the the the, um, the solicitors and the divorce solicitor. My God, how, Christopher, how, that's. How did... <laughs> I mean, talk about a toll. You're so bright and so like. What's such a like a very vibrant and attractive personality talking to you, and the years of divorce does not hang on you. It's the nicest compliment I can give you. Tell us about that. I am fascinated. Okay, well, what I would say is that when I first when I first went into divorce law, it was absolutely it's a fascinating career because you get to know people really well. I knew my clients in some ways more deeply than I knew my best friends. Like you speak about everything, you speak about money, you speak about sex, you speak about everything that is important. You need to know it because what the last thing you want is some deep dark skeleton bursting out of the the cupboard midway through a, a, a court ki- court hearing. Um, and when I first started it, people would say, oh, isn't it depressing? And I'd say, no, it's not at all. It's the fact that I'm helping people at a low point in their lives. And I really, really felt that. But I think that became, it started to edge towards where I started to question, how much am I really helping them? Um, and you become more aware of just how much it's costing them. Mm. So by the time I left this world, my charge out rate was approximately, uh, hourly rate was approximately 300 pounds an hour. Um, so in New Zealand dollars, six, approximately $600 an hour. Um, and that is not expensive by central London divorce solicitor um, levels. But at the same time, you think, how could an hour of my time possibly, possibly <laughs> be worth 300 pounds? And you'd see or I would see the impact that my fees would have on people's lives because you'd be like, okay, well, that's where you've just had to sell your nice home and you're not going to be able to do that anymore. Or the one one thing that you wanted was you wanted your children to be able to continue at private school. Well, that's now gone out of the window thanks to my fees. And I think I just became a bit, I'm not the sort of person that can just cross it off and go home and think, okay, I'm not going to think about that. My husband said that I became quite moany, um, and <laughs> and I think it was left. It wasn't the clients because nine times out of ten, the clients were all lovely, and I really liked them. It was more perhaps the pressure of um, people higher up the food chain, and it's about making money. It's about making money. And that wasn't really what I went into it. In fact, that wasn't what I went into it for at all. Um, and so it got to a stage where I thought, actually, 
I can't do this anymore. And this is where planning should have come in. So I was at a firm for about six years, a good firm, nice people. But I started thinking, you start to see more of the negatives than the positives. I thought, okay, time for a change. I will change firms. Maybe it's, maybe it's a firm issue. Um, and then I realized it, it, was, it was not a firm issue. Uh, and I started talking to someone about the idea of changing career. But by that stage, I was like, I just need to get out. I just need to get out. <laughs> I pretty much quit with no plan, which I would not recommend. <laughs> it's funny you say that because throughout the whole podcast series, we've been saying if people are making moves, the thing is don't resign. It's like have a plan, think ahead. And yet we've yourself and actually there's another guy, Adam, that we spoke to around that. He started a business. He, he would like literally just on instinct and his view. And he said the same. He said, think about it. Did you think about it? He goes, no, I didn't think about it at all. No. I think what I went was right. You know, it's kind of cool. I tell you what, it's interesting. It's so interesting that because, you know, it, it comes it comes back to one. One, there's a, somebody of the legal profession that's gone through a, you know an existential crisis because they actually care and they can. You know, they're not out to make money. I think that's kind of entertaining. But you know, it comes back to that value system, doesn't it? I know when we did the program, we spoke about those 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 values and understanding what drives and motivates us. So mm. it, it's, it's interesting for me because. You obviously, the, the money-making side of it or the, the pressure that went with doing the role, but the passion for helping people then translated itself into you authoring these books. I mean, it, I did, did the legal profession try and shut you down? Because at the end of the day, you know, you, you potentially, as I said, and I, I have no doubt that the work you produced was of top quality and was, you know, would be, you know, I don't know if it's still available, but it would be good. But like, it, was that the thing then to keep thinking, well, what can I do? How do I give back? Like, like did you, was that the last resort or did you kind of think, right, plan B, here we go. How did you end up writing the books? It was, it was a couple of things, actually. So when I, during the time when I was a solicitor, um, I used to belong to, I, was, I chaired the um, YRES committee. So it was basically young family solicitors in London and we would do, teaching for embarrassing lectures and things and we would have committee meetings and during those committee meetings we'd do our bit of work and then we'd be like okay what is your exit strategy how are you going to leave the law and we talk about that and one of my friends produced the book uh, the four-hour work week by tim ferris yes um, which is very inspiring and um, I'm not sure if this is a good thing or bad thing, but that probably did feed slightly into my decision to leave quite so abruptly. Um, but when I left, there were two things. One, I did want to give back to people because I thought you really don't need, like the first meeting you have with a solicitor, which could cost you between 300 and 600 pounds um, for that meeting if you're in central London, um, a lot of that information, you can just get in a book. You don't need to sit there and try and take it in when you're in the highly stressed, highly emotional um, frame of mind. Um, and so I thought, look, I, I can do this and I can sell my book for, or I can do it online and it can be 20 pounds and it's a huge amount of value. And you said that the, the, the law, laws, not law society, lawyers try to set you down. Um, no, the reality is that they were probably perfectly aware of human nature. I think I was probably quite naive that what people want a lot of the time is that they don't want to, they don't want to read it. Um, they want someone there saying, there, there, it's going to be all right. And this is what you do. They want someone at the end of the phone. And that's one of the reasons, one of the issues that I had that people would get the book and then they'd want to contact me. I'm like, well, I'm going to be a backdoor lawyer here with no insurance. This is not going to work out well. So, yeah, I was proud of what I did, 
but I think it showed my naivety. It's, it's so funny you say that because obviously, as you know, you know, I launched the box last year and, and it's, it's exactly the same challenge. And I had that realisation again when we spoke to Tom about doing this sort of stuff because, yes, you can write the book and give them the programme, but a lot of people actually want to talk, right? They want the experience. Yeah. And, and equally, you know what I mean? It, it, it's so funny, like you say, is particularly with something emotive as divorce because it's not a logical is it, it's not, you know, if it's very logical, then we'd all just run the standard process decision trees, but it's those emotions that get involved. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's that need for the conversation. And also I think it's the, like, I knew that I knew how to do it. So for me, I could think, well, actually, if you do this, this will save you a lot of money, but yeah, it, it it's, it's different. And also it's convincing people of the value of something. So we're programmed to think, well, if it's a book, it must be worth about 10, 20 pounds. Um, sorry, I'm st- I'm, I don't usually deal in pounds, but I guess because this is thinking about yeah. back when I was in the UK. Whereas actually, how do you convince someone that the value of it is so much more than that because it will save you so much money? Um, and then I also, and then there was a, a law change. And I thought, if I have to keep updating these books, it's not making enough money to merit it. And it was the idea was it was going to be a passive income. And I was like, this is not, this is not a passive income <laughs> at all. And, then, and let's explore a little bit. I'm keen, because again, I think there's a lot of people that, you know, as you said, professionals that look can look for changes in their careers. And, and I certainly found it, and we've discussed it at various stages through the podcast and with, with Blake and a few other guests. It's it's this, it's very different when you're part of a machine and part of a system, right? And, and because you kind of got that natural safety net and it's to a certain degree, as much as we can resent it, there's a rhythm and a what we need to do is almost given to us. Then you find yourself doing, you know, an entrepreneur, you're doing your own thing. I mean, d- did you find that shift from sort of being part of the system to being, you know, on your own, but within the system, like, did you have to change with that? Was that a breath of fresh air? Did you, you know, cause, cause for me, I found that that transition actually refreshing in one way, but in other ways was kind of scary. So how did you go, go from being the legal profession to sort of working for yourself, being that entrepreneur? Um, it was more of a change than I was expecting in some way some ways um, and this may make me sound shallow but it was a weird, the weird thing of going to a party and people saying what do you do um which is i mean it's a common conversation starter wherever but it's quite london as well it's like how, how am i going to pigeonhole you <laughs> and so if i when i used to say oh, i'm a lawyer people know where to put you it's like okay well you must be moderately intelligent you must be moderately successful um and you must be yeah you must have a a certain amount of money so you're kind of nicely pigeonholed really and then when you say oh I'm doing my own thing and I'm I'm writing these books and and my idea is this and you can see that people are struggling to uh to place you and you can see some people in their eyes loser um (laughs) couldn't cope, um, all, all those sort of things, which maybe they weren't at all, but it's what your internal dialogue is saying. So, yeah, that was that was a challenge. Yeah, it was a challenge. I think it might. Well, I don't know. In this day and age, it's kind of like, you know, entrepreneur. Everyone's like, OK, that's kind of, you know, but, but you're right. It, depending on the crowd that you're mixing with, it's kind of hard to explain. I What I do see, you know, as you know, the consulting and the, and the, and the training piece, I, I think... 
people of the younger generation come through kind of look at it and get the organic nature of it and the fact that it's kind of like you know yeah, it's entrepreneurial but you get to play in different other areas when i first got into it people couldn't work out well why are you not working for a big consulting firm doing it and you're doing your own thing so actually what are you doing are you just sitting at home being funded by your wife because you can't yeah. find a job and even my kids when they were little it was like what do you do and as they get older I was like, i'm a teacher for adults and as i got older they said what do you do dad i'm like i'm a bullshit artist kids that's what i do for a living <laughs> and my Robin's like you can't say that to them I said well let's be honest I talk shit for a living but people seem to enjoy it you know and they pay me so I must be doing something all right you know a bit, bit brutal there it's about audiences you know I think Christopher is so right and you're so right too Ben it's like if you go to the pub people I'm like do I say that I'm a podcaster no of course not I'm like oh I work at, like at the time when I was working in a big four bank I'm like oh I work in a bank and they're like, okay, and then you can move on. You can have another yeah. conversation. But if you start trying to explain philanthropy or that you're an author slash, uh, you know, a former solicitor moving through something else or that you're a teacher of adults or a trainer, a professional consultant, it's just like, not nah, too hard. I work in a bank. Easy. Done. Shorthand. Yeah. And it's interesting you used to, you used to say former solicitor that I had to stop myself for quite some time afterwards, actually, um, like, what do you do? Oh, I do this. But actually, I used to be a lawyer. Um, and it's always like I, I'm trying to justify myself. Oh, no, I, I, I have achieved things in the past. It may not look like look like it, but I have. And I had a, a friend who was um, she worked at one of the same law firms as me. And then she became a teacher. And she said that her mum, when she was introducing her, would always say uh, she's a teacher, but she's also a lawyer. It's like... <laughs> You know what, that's just such an interesting question for us. And, and I think it sort of links back to the, the meandering careers, because I think I've had a bit of those as well, is this idea of who am I, you know, and I know it's, a, it's not the meaning of life question, but this association of who we are carried by a title that we then sit within these social groups. Yeah. And, and it's an interesting one, because I think a large part of the evolution for all of us in any workplace is to get comfortable with that who we are. But there's so much of this sense of who I should be and what should I be doing, you know? And I think it also comes back to for some, and this is kind of our, my advice as well, is, you know, sometimes you just got to trial it and give it a go. You know, that's the sort of thing that unless you walk out and you come out and you've got your vocation and you want to do X, you know what, it's okay to trial and it's okay to evolve, but it's very interesting, like we've all said it. Because Blake, I mean, if you said you look like, you know, you said to people you work in a bank, they probably think, what? I mean, you actually look like a podcast kind of guru, <laughs> kind of guy, right? So you look like this. So this identity piece. That's part of the meandering, right? Christopher nailed it as well. That's you're, you get permission to be meandering if you don't look like that, because that's actually a point. It's like if you decide on a career path, it's like if I leave, will if I died tomorrow, would anyone mention at my eulogy that I work at <laughs> a bank? Would that be the first thing they say? And hopefully not, because that, that would be quite worrying. And hope <laughs> it would be really worrying, Christopher, really worrying. And and so I feel like that's that's also a bit of a pulse check of who am I. It's like if you are if you're truly dissatisfied or you're you're you're, you're feeling that internal turmoil of like I need to make a move and maybe I am unprepared, but maybe I need to go. You know, one of those real like foundational questions of like if I died tomorrow, would someone mention that this was who I was? Is a helpful uh true norm yeah i think true. so and, and i mean that's isn't that stephen Kovnick, covey um from uh, seven habits of highly effective people i think he says start yes. with what would people what do you want people to say at your eulogy or, or at your funeral yeah. and i think that's a, a good thing and i think we we have all these different pressures about what we expect of ourselves what we think other people expect of us um what people actually expect of us and 
sometimes it's hard and I think it's easier as you get older to be like no actually I know what I want and what I need but when you're younger I think it's easy to be pushed in different ways and I was thinking about this yesterday I just happened to be scrolling through LinkedIn and I came across the profile of someone I went to university with who did the same degree as me and I was looking at him and I was like wow you have had a high flying career and and I remember in our final year, how he became focused on what he wanted to achieve. And he's clearly done very well. And I had a pang of thinking, oh, my God, have I not achieved what I could have and should have? And I thought, but actually, am I happy where I am? Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with, with the balance that I have in my life, that I really enjoy the job that I'm doing. I enjoy the people that I work with, that I've met along the way. Um, and so it's easy to say, oh, I could have, should have done that. But think about what you what do you really want? What do you really value? And I, and I suppose I do love I do love a good self-help book. And I have read a, a number of them. Um, <laughs> but one of the books that I read, which was helpful when I was in my the divorce easily, the, the books hadn't worked out. I was like, oh, my God, what am I what am I going to do? Um, my husband was starting to get a little bit um, touchy about the fact that I was working, but the money was not flooding in. Uh, and I read a book by Jenny Blake, which is Pivot. The only move that matters is your next move. And it, the whole idea of, of it is, is not just about what should I do right now? It's more about, again, five years time. Where do I want to be and what is important to me? Um, and that working through those exercises really helped me pin down my um, pin down my values, yeah. which uh, which has been so. When I left the law, I was like, I want to do something positive for for the world. And then when I went into HR and I moved to uh, New Zealand, and I immediately started for working for a large bank. And I, but I knew that that wasn't tying in with what my values were. But I also knew that it was quite a good step to get where I wanted to be yeah yeah it's interesting because I think that all the conversations I've had and and you know this value set the values being you know the things that are important to us these deep-seated emotional responses I think I've spoken about it before on the pod but I think a lot of people understand the concept of the word but it's that awareness and that consciousness like you say and often it comes because it doesn't feel right and I think <laughs> it's very easy for people to say well, it doesn't feel right so therefore let me fix it but I'm often saying, well, what, what is it that doesn't feel right? Because I think it's that introspection, but also that awareness. And also, again, you know, having the tools, whether it's through different books or what have you, to be able to articulate what that value set is. I.e., what are my drivers and my motivators, which then actually gets us connected back to who we are. And, and, I, and I think this is this is what we're seeing and I'm seeing is, you know, and we've spoken about this as well. In the old days, you know, your career path would have been very set out, right, for someone like yourself, if you'd gone into the legal profession, and I'm sure many of your peers, they've gone through the legal profession. And, yeah. and, and, and you know, that was it. And because it was built around, you know, do what's expected, security, and look, when you get to 55, 60, you've made a load of money, so you can retire and have a good life then. But I think in this sort of deconstructed world that we've got today and the technology has driven these opportunities is that you don't have to sit there and suck it up for 40 years before you can live your life. If you can mm. work out what it is you don't like, and you also then you've got this consciousness. And I think this is the other thing that you, that I think Christopher talking to you and through the window and you know, I've spoken about, you know, we can joke about meandering and poor planning, but I think there has been this consciousness of decision-making hasn't there. You've kind of sort of said, I'm not prepared to just go with it. And equally, you've then taken advantage of that 
and you've sort of said, right, I'll do something different. And I think that's the exciting thing. What I'm interested from your perspective, I know you're well read, and I, and I mean, like I said, that's why you're a joy, you know, because because you kind of know more, you know, well, you know, equally more than I do around some of this stuff. Do you make some of these decisions, like like you said, lack of poor planning, or is it just a point in time, or is it a response to what's going on? Like like this decision making process, even your move to New Zealand, like are they just things that you think, right, I've got to deal with this now, or is there a part of a master plan? Like 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 how do you make these decisions? Um, there is no master plan, that is for sure, uh, <laughs> and, and I do think that that. I know people say, oh, life is what is ha- what happens while you're planning for it. But I think that probably a bit of planning is is a good thing. And I I think that keeping your options open is good. And the, the downside of going in something like law is you find that you've narrowed your options dramatically before you even realize it. So master plan. No, I think that leaving law was... Um, that was fairly spur of the moment. I remember where the decision was. We were going to Portugal I had a shocking week two weeks month and I was sitting there and I said oh my god you know what I just want to resign I really want to resign I'm going to resign okay I'm resigning as soon as we get back (laughs) um so that that was that decision uh other decisions have probably been more measured but I think that I tend to start planning and then something gets to a point where I think no, I need to, I need to make this decision now. So for coming to New Zealand, um, we'd talked about moving abroad uh, for a long time, and then it just like the we got to a point where actually we've got we've come to an age where it's relatively easy to do it now. If we wait a couple of years, it's going to be hard. I mean, we didn't realize COVID was coming, which would have made it impossible. But um, I had I was working on a contract which was coming to an end. My partners. Um, job was coming to an end so it it worked out really well and when I moved from my last job I had made the decision that I was going to leave but I had thought that I would wait a couple of months three months or so and then start looking really hard whereas actually then someone just contacted me out of the blue I was like okay this uh, this is a bit of a sign Uh, and so I pursued that and and that has really worked out for me. But let's look at the move to New Zealand then. Had you been to New Zealand before? Had you done like the touring around and the visiting? Or was it just like, how did you end up in New Zealand? Uh, so we had, I mean, we thought a lot about, for me, I wanted to move somewhere sunnier. And people say, oh, it's not that much sunnier in New Zealand. It, re- it really is a lot sunnier in the North Island. <laughs> we had th- we'd thought about the US and diff- we'd visited different parts of it. Australia and New Zealand had always always seemed too far away. And then we, but we had friends in in both Australia and New Zealand. Then we decided we're going to make the move. We went to look at different places. So we went to Austin, Texas, um, which was lovely. But I think that there there were so many issues about potentially moving to America. And then we decided we would do a scoping trip to uh, Melbourne and Auckland uh, Christmas of 2017. Yeah, that would be right. Christmas 2017. And so spent a week in Melbourne and then a week in the whole of New Zealand. So not even a week in Auckland. And uh, we decided we were, we were going to move to one or the other. We thought they both, both had pros and cons. And the visa 
uh, from the visa perspective, it was so much easier for us to move to New Zealand. And what we wanted to do was move somewhere and know that we could stay for good. We didn't want to go there for two years, three years. We wanted to move and say, okay, this is our new life. Uh, so we came back in January 2018 and we made the move in July 2018. So I haven't spent a great deal of time here, um, but it has been the best move for us. It really has. I think that New Zealand has the best parts of England and some of and not some of the bad parts. Um, so, yeah, it's also been a very easy transition. So many people say, oh, you move abroad. And or you'll have these days when you're like, what have I done? I know I can honestly say other than when my mum died during COVID and I couldn't get back to the UK because of the pandemic. That was obviously not great. But I never thought I shouldn't have come to New Zealand. Amazing, huh? But I wonder then it's also at that stage, as you said, in terms of what you've done and that ability to move. It's interesting because I think when I came to Australia, I was pretty much the same. I think I was just excited to get out. you know yeah. and get to the climate and to have the life and 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 yeah i see so many that make the transition and and come for a couple of years and then go back and it's almost like they find themselves in this halfway house because they pine for what they used to have and yet they also appreciate what they've got so they so wherever like if they're in the uk or whatever is in europe or they're in like down here it's kind of like they always see what they don't have and i think there's a certain degree of why are we doing this? What do we expect and how are we going to get out of this? And I think, again, it does come back to that consciousness and maybe that said, maybe it's the planning, but even that awareness of why are we doing this? And it's, you know, as I said, it's not because, oh, we just need to get away. It's, well, there's a different quality of life. So it's interesting that you've kind of, you've, you've sort of settled that quickly. And, and it's, does yeah. it feel like home? Like, because I always find yeah. this funny. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it really, it really does. And I think it was because we came with the mindset that we were going to stay for good and people would say oh but what if it doesn't work out and we said okay well then we'll move again but we won't back, move back to the UK we'll, we'll move somewhere else but we came with the intention that we were going to stay we bought a house very like we sold everything so we were in a position to buy a house so we um, bought property we got a dog we we had both had jobs so we were settled very quickly um, and the quality of life is so much better. And I think London is great when you're in your 20s. Um, and then I think as you get older, you start to see more of the downsides than the, the pros. So you start to see more, oh, God, it's taken me an hour 20 to get to my work today. And I'm exhausted before I've even arrived. And I really don't want to see another person. Um, <laughs> so, and the grey. And you stop seeing, hey, it's got loads of cool bars. And you can go to theatre. And you can go to have dinner and you or maybe that was just me but I think partly it's probably age and so you come to New Zealand or Australia and you think well actually this offers different opportunities Uh, we can get to the beach in a few minutes Uh, we can the food the food has been a real eye-opener here you can get some amazing food in London but you have to pay for it whereas in New Zealand it really feels that whatever price bracket you're at you get excellent food and maybe that's just because it's fresher I don't know but that was a real eye-opener yeah we find the same here and you know the joy of it that I found is home like for me in Sydney as Australia but the, the, the appreciation I get of getting on the plane and going back when we can travel and we will be able to do it again and going back for those two or three weeks and catching up and seeing it uh, you know it's like London you know, I, I lived there only briefly so I never really did this sort of 20s thing but you just see it with the same sort of 
I guess, you know, excitement that you used to see it with. And, mm-hmm. But again, ultimately, it's knowing that that base, and I look, I think forever, no, I'm sure there's people in the UK that are exactly the same. You know, if you've got that home base that's giving you what you want with the, you know, the work, the life, the balance, et cetera, you get that. But the joy of it says, I, I think for us expats, it's, it's it, when we feel that level of comfort, it doesn't preclude us, as I said, from also experiencing the other parts of life. We just have to do it in a smaller period, right? And I yeah. love going back, but I love equally getting on the plane and arriving back in Sydney. And to be honest with you, it's the climate, the sunshines, you know, mm. it's, it's easier, right? It's easier just to live your life in, in, in this sort of different climate. I know it's the same in Auckland, even though Auckland does always remind me a lot more of Dublin. You know, I spent five years, three, four, five <laughs> years in Dublin. And every time I come over, it's like when those, when those clouds coming across the bay, there it's like oh here we go so but um but it's certainly fresh right I mean it's certainly there's a lot going on in Auckland as well I imagine I mean it seems like there's been a lot of development and there's 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 quite a bit happening within the city itself it is a great great city to live in um and it when it rains the difference I think between probably London and Dublin is that here when it rains it rains it rains really heavily but then the clouds will clear and the sun comes out and even on a midwinter's day you, if you're sitting in the sun, the sun has heat and warmth and strength in a way that it really doesn't in the UK. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's been good to us in a, in a lot of ways. There you go, Blake. So you put two English people on the call and we end up talking about the weather. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, for us, I think it comes back, you know, the body and soul, the mindset, the capabilities yes. and the environment. And I, and I think, I don't know, do you think you've had to make, trade-offs from a career perspective Christopher like because you know New Zealand is a small market I mean if there's a lot going on that's not a criticism it's just it doesn't Mm. always have the opportunity so sometimes I think people say well if I'm going to take the lifestyle then do I have to make a trade-off in some of the opportunities but I don't I I get a sense that again for you it's about the work that's interesting but you feel as though you've had to make trade-offs anywhere or have you got everything that you need and want I haven't but I also I'm not someone who is like, I really want to be at the top of a big corporate. Um, and maybe because I've taken a more scenic route, um, that wasn't on the cards anyway. So I don't feel like I have had to make that trade-off. Um, but I did see people in the bank I worked at who had come back from London, were Kiwis, but had returned. And I think that they definitely felt that they had had to make a huge trade-off um there are just i mean it goes without saying there are just fewer opportunities and if you are money driven you can earn a lot more in london and it's interesting that the range of what you can earn in london versus auckland i I don't know about sydney but in auckland salaries are much closer together uh, which i think is probably a good thing for society but if you were desperately driven by money it probably wouldn't be the best move for you to make But one of the things that, so as well as climate, and one thing that I just couldn't get over with America, and there are various issues that I have with, I mean, America is a great place to visit, but I just don't think it would work for me to live there. And one of the things was holiday, like vacation days. So in the UK, it's pretty much 25 days as standard. And then the US, you might get two weeks. And I'm like, that's not enough. I, no, I want a work-life balance. And I'm sorry, two weeks is not going to cut it. It's funny that, isn't it? It's things that we take for granted around this, you know, and, and it's, 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 I think the Germans, don't they have the most number of days in Europe as well? You know, it's just what's accepted the social norms. But it's also about um, what you do in the time that you're at work, because 
I just don't believe that if you're absolutely exhausted because you've had no holiday and you're working two jobs, you're going to be giving your best as opposed to someone who has take, just come back from two weeks um, leave and is able to come back and really give, give themselves. I mean, it's the whole idea of doing the four-day work week as, as well, which I quite like the idea of, but I'm not sure it's practical at the moment. And then talk to me. I, I want to kind of wrap up in a minute and get some advice for people that are thinking about careers and moves and sort of some sort of, sort of summary of some of the things, lessons that we've learned. Um, just your, your current role. I mean, it seems like, as you said, you came over, you, you took an opportunity, allowed you to get settled, but you have made a move. And, and your current role is sort of definitely ticking all the right boxes for you in terms of just allowing you to come to work, make a difference, but also have the sort of, you know, the life that you want to leave as well. Yeah, it really is. It does take a lot of what I wanted. I wanted something that I felt was actually stretching me and using all the skills that I have picked up because I have got a lot of skills from the, the law, from writing, from marketing, from all these sort of things. Um, and then obviously HR. And because it's a smallish company, so we have um, approximately 370 apprentices that we put in different companies throughout New Zealand. Um, but head office is only about 20 people. So in some ways, although it's not a tiny company, it feels like a small company. Um, and I like the intimacy of that. And I like the fact that although I'm the HR manager, I have a finger in lots of pies and I know what's going on in the company. And I feel like I can help really drive the success. So that is definitely ticking boxes and also being able to go to bed at night and think hey I, I'm helping young people on a on a career path and I'm helping New Zealand society so I think that yeah it, it really is ticking boxes and I've got a good team like the management team that I'm on is is really good I have a great team um my own my personal team is is great so I feel like I'm surrounded by good interesting qualified yeah, people, that, and we're all we're all aiming to achieve the same thing. Yeah, Whereas yeah. in a corporate, it's like God, everyone's got their own little fiefdom and their own agenda. Um, well, that was my experience of corporate life. Yeah, well, <laughs> mine as well. I love I love the fact that you started out talking to you know divorce divorces or people helping people through divorces in London, and ended up sort of in New Zealand being the HR sort of manager for, you know, and start at the start of people's careers, as you said, it's, 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 it's an interesting, I like it. It's just, I've got wondering if there's another book you need to write around sort of scenic, scenic career paths. <laughs> Cause you know, what, what it does for me is it, it, it talks about the journey of what it is. And, and in fact, it was interesting because we were having this conversation with Denise on the last podcast about often people look at the end results. So she works in the charity, not for profit sector, she works with, um, uh, with, with philanthropists and she's got like this dream job and they look at it and she's like, and, and she's like, yeah, but it's 10 years of bloody hard work to get here, you know, mm. and she's picked up the phone <laughs> and she's been there at times, as she said, she did part-time jobs where she's been head in hands. What am I doing? She's taken some gambles. And I imagine, as I say, people can easily look at the end product but they, you know, what are, what you've been through to get there, but it's the scenic nature of the journey, i.e. we're looking at what's going on. We're not just head down trying to get through it. I think there's a there's something around that for me, which is very much, as I said, a modern career path when we started, which is not governed by traditional thinking, which I think is available to people. Not everybody. I get there's going to be people in different situations, but I think for, 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 for more people than ever before, these opportunities are there. So what I'm interested in to wrap this up from, from both of you probably is 
what advice do we give people around their careers? You know, I think we've touched on this a little bit, Blake, when we spoke initially about getting people out of corporate life. But um, like, you, you know, mentoring some of your some of your the guys and girls, Blake's going to be teaching people coming through. You've got your trainees um, and I've got my coaching contacts. Like, what advice do we give them about their careers? Like what 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 have we learned? I, I before Christopher talks, I want Christopher to talk about something that has really resonated with me is that in his current role, after everything that he's been through, what's amazing is that there's still a, a uh, there's still an opportunity for the company to utilize his IP that he's developed over his whole career. Because I think that that is something that people don't realize in any job that they're in is that you are enriched by your different experiences. And sometimes, you know, we, we joked and laughed about podcaster or a lawyer or I'm a teacher, or I'm an author, but I think that at the end of it now, what's so heartening to hear is Christopher's current role in that HR manager role, having fingers in the pie. And I think that that, that experience is sometimes devalued. It's like, just do the job because you're a HR manager and you've got the degree in that. So that's what we want from you. But I, I, I really want to, I really want to emphasize how important experience is and not devaluing that because just because you worked in a financial organization, you know, previously, and like with myself, I, I look at those experiences, corporate life, corporate acumen, you know, the, the education that you receive in, exactly as you said, fiefdoms and politics that happen in workplaces and those sorts of things. And then all other, you know, academic experiences as well. Um, I feel like people devalue their experience and they ignore it. They just put it away in a pigeonhole and go, oh, I use that and now I don't need it anymore. But I feel like, no, stay in touch with that because it'll actually make you way better and more fulfilled if you find a role that you feel like you're using your whole toolkit. I absolutely agree. I really agree. I think it's very easy to, like you say, just put something behind you and say, right, I'm moving on now. And my boss, the CEO, said to me the other day, I really appreciate your skill set. And it wasn't in relation to HR. It was more in relation to sort of a, a legal issue and, and the way I was writing. So, yes, I, I definitely I definitely think that, too. Um, in terms of advice, it's funny. I was giving some advice to um, a young relative who is uh, choosing university at, at the moment. And we were talking about careers more generally. And advice that I tend to give to people is make sure that you are keeping options open early on in your career. And I say that because if you look at when I became a divorce lawyer, I could, as a lawyer in, in England, I could only work in England or Wales. That's the jurisdiction. And then because I was doing high net worth divorce, I could only work for, um, basically I could work in London because that's where a lot of the money is. And then that meant that I, there was only a handful of firms that I could work for. And before you know it, some of your options have gone. Whereas actually I would say, try and do, if, you, if you're going to go to university, and I think that you shouldn't just assume that university is, is the way to go. I think that looking into apprenticeships or starting your own business when you're young and don't have anything to lose is definitely something that I would, I would suggest to people. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, no, I think, I mean, I think if we, I think it comes back to me is, is those options, as you said. So, so Blake, you know, from your perspective, it's the IP it's, it's what skills have I got and it's the soft skills and the hard skills, but it's being able to value that. I, I always talk about what value do I offer? And, and, and I think to me, that's kind of you. And it's not just what you've done on your CV. It's knowing the value that you bring. And equally, the other one I'll add to that is keep acquiring skills. I mean, I think you're a lifelong learner, right, Christopher? You and I know yeah. that you love the process of learning. And, and 
some of us are not naturally built like that, but we can, you know, find a way to get that hunger. So what skills have I got? What skills can I acquire? I think that thing about thinking about your options, and I think that's probably what your 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 career path and what you've done has really shown me today is this ability to be able to consider different options and not to feel hemmed in and sometimes to make decisions with a slightly broader perspective. You know, you don't have to define who you are at this point. And, it, and sometimes you can change. And I think, as I said, that's the joy. I, th I think the other one that I'll add in just for a third, and it comes back to what we've discussed, is the values. You know, know what's important to you and find means to understand and get that connection to and that will change over different life stages, right? We all know that mm. as it goes through. But at any given stage, what do I value? What's important to me? And how do we use that awareness to drive some of these consciousness and decisions? And, and for me, as I said, I think that's about our lives, not other people's lives. And if you know, we follow what a structured career path should have been for all of us, none of us would be sat here today because we'd all been doing what we started <laughs> doing, right? And yet somehow we've kind of ended up, and I think we've benefited, benefited from that. But equally, some of the people we've spoken through on the pod, they've done you know, 10, 20 years in the same organization and they're still enjoying it. So it's not a one size, you know, it's not a, a, everyone goes through the same process. You've got to find what works for you and be true to that. And understand yourself. Yeah. Yeah, it's a journey, isn't it? Yes. Be comfortable in that question of who am I? Yeah, which I think takes time. <laughs> I like that. Not as much. It doesn't take much time when you're like, I, I want to get out of here. I'm resigning. I'm res that's it. Yeah. I'm resigning. <laughs> the, the four stages of Christopher's resigning is probably my highlight of this whole show so far. It's, it's that, that, you've got to take a little bit more time than that, but it's. I think sometimes you've got to make that, you got to be comfortable in making the decision fast when you need to. Yeah. Yeah, very good. I want to I want to thank you for your time. Like I said, it's it's an absolute joy because when we catch up in a professional context or we meet for the work that I do, I, I always I, I connect. You know, I connect with everybody, but there's certain individuals that I just I just think one a bloody good people, a good bloke, because we'd say in Australia, damn good bloke, but also just just got such a good outlook on life, Christopher. And so I'm so glad we've been able to do this because, like I said, from our first conversation and and the work that we did, I knew I knew there was a story behind you, and it's not delightful that we've been able to unpick that for you today. So or unpack it for our listeners. So thank you ever so much. Um, when I'm in New Zealand, probably going to be 2022. You and I, I owe you a, I owe you lunch. One of those nice restaurants. We might even go. I tell you what, let's go low end of town if the quality of the food's that good. And no, not low end, <laughs> cheap. You know, we'll find somewhere good. But I, I definitely owe you a, uh, owe you a meal. And like I said, thanks once again. I appreciate you taking the time. Um, look after yourself. Once hopefully COVID all opens up, you guys will get back to normal. Um, and as I said, to sign up on all these podcasts, you know, when all is said and done, more is said than done. You've heard me say that in the training room. Um, I just think again, it's it's the talk. Talking and the conversations are great. And then as we've always said, it's the actions that people can take and the lessons learned that actually make a difference. So stay safe, everybody. Thanks ever so much, gents. Nice to see you all again and look after yourselves. Thanks.